Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. It had probably lost 55, 60% of its value oh. after a year. We want a cash figure, really. And <laughs> probably lost over 30 grand. And... Hello and welcome to episode 17 of the Collecting Addicts podcast. Before we started recording, Manish quite beautifully said, that's one third of a year. I've never done anything for a third of a year. I've never had a job for a third of a year. I've never actually had a job. Anyhow, more important matters. The Miami Grand Prix, a shit show or a piece of foresight that has to be defined as genius? What do you think, Neil Clifford? Oh, it's it's a very complicated one, isn't it? Because I just want I just want anyone else to win apart from Max. So it's it's really annoying, isn't it? I'm, I hope Manish is going to give us some numbers about um, viewer viewing and how you know that would be great. Because even though it seems as though the world is talking about F one, actually, less people I think are watching it. Manish, you'll give us the data, but I just want. Ferrari to do better. I want Mercedes to do better. I just desperately want someone else to win more than Max. And I think he's going to win every race. My prediction of Lewis was shocking. I'm embarrassed about that. You know, you can get a $500 burger, which I'm sure we're going to talk about. You know, it was all a bit sort of um, NFL final, wasn't it? It was all a bit too cheesy, really, for our love of old school F1. And please, who can sort out Ferrari? Shouldn't they just control, alt, delete the whole thing? Shouldn't they just get rid of the drivers, get Lewis in, get Lando in? It'd be so exciting, wouldn't it, Ferrari? Better. I'm so pissed off that Ferrari are doing badly. Even if, if Mercedes and Lewis can't get eight, let's at least get a Ferrari win mixed in there somewhere. I can't disagree with any of that, I have to say. Although some of our Dutch viewers won't, won't like us. We're not anti-Max. No, we're not anti-Max, but he's, he's, he's hard to love. Yeah, I think I think they're that same problem. We're difficult to like. Manish, uh, w- what are your thoughts here? I know that you've got some um, some empirical evidence of what's been going on between the two Miami Grand Prix. 
Well, um, the ABC brackets ESPN viewing figures came out yesterday. Um, Nielsen said that um, the race was watched by, I think it was 1.96 million people. <clears throat> Sorry, 1.6 million people. Um, ABC said, no, that doesn't include streaming. So it was watched by 1.96 million people. But the fact is last year's race was watched by 2.6 million people. <clears throat> so the best estimates tell you the viewing figures are down 600,000. That's not 600,000 down from 17.6 million to 17. That's 600,000 from 2.6 to 2. Anyway, you look at that, and you know, you can go around saying, well, don't worry, it will all make up for itself in, in Las Vegas, but it's kind of not the point, is it? And um, I suppose mm. I've got two big concerns about Formula One, and um, they are starting to actually hit me in the pit of my stomach now, which is that I think it's really important to get the younger generation in. I don't think Bernie was right in saying to drivers, you can't have social media, you shouldn't be. I think that would have been an absolutely positive move. My slight worry is if you really want to go after a new crowd at the expense of the satisfaction of the old crowd, I think you have a problem there. And I mean, I'd just liken the Grand Prix to this. A lot of people said it was a bad race. I absolutely don't agree. We had Max out of position. We had Lewis out of position. We actually had drivers who were overtaking, and it wasn't all DRS. You know, there was some beautiful. You see that lovely triple move that um, that Max made Max did, on yeah. Leclerc, and um, and it was Magnussen, wasn't it? Only because he had another five hundred horsepower down the straight. Right, a billion horsepower. It was just such a lovely move, and it, you know, things like that are exciting. But there, were, I, I'd liken it to this: when you go to see a rock concert. If you want to go and see the Rolling Stones, you normally have reasonably appropriate warm-up acts, okay? But what you don't go and do is you don't go and see the Rolling Stones and maybe have take that as the warm-up act. And what it does is just puts you in the wrong frame of mind for when a Grand Prix starts. And I'm now talking, obviously, about the complete build-up. I mean, it doesn't matter what the menus were and how much it was to get a burger there. I wasn't at the Grand Prix. But what I did feel was that the razzmatazz before was for the sake of razzmatazz. There was no sort of sporting predication. And um, I mean, look, you know, do you think Bernie Eccleston is great mates with Eric Clapton. He's great mates with um, Mick Jagger. He's great mates with all of those. He, he could have put one of those on any time he wanted in the last 40 years. But I think he had some instinct saying, you know what, this is actually going to take away from what you're about to watch, because actually Mick mm. or Hugh Grant or somebody like that could probably nuke in terms of charisma, all the drivers at the time, including probably Senna, actually. And I think that's where the judgment comes in with this. And, um, you know, my final and so slightly also depressing <laughs> passing thought is this, that in 2021, under the old rules, we had a championship, you know, there was some kind of equivalency, not just between Red Bull and Mercedes, but Ferrari had the odd shout as well. And I think, you know, what have you got now? You now have probably one of the most unequal championships. I mean, in five races, Red Bull have won all five. In fact, you see the statistic, apart from uh, Perez's fifth place, four of them are one twos. We're talking about sort of Williams domination from 1992, but for the second year. And who created the rules? 
you know, this one has got to be slightly wholly owned by the people who own the business, who promote the business. And listen, I have no problem with any of this, except I just, you know, I'm feeling slightly less and less, and it may just be a product of my age, but I'm feeling slightly, slightly less and less at home with each of these races. And if we find that the young people spike and all of that is actually due to COVID, not due to the fact that, you know, it's been so brilliantly packaged. Um, because I don't understand how you can say we've got exponential growth in the sport yet at the same time. The viewing figures are down that much. And the second year, you'd, you'd have thought, and there was no NBA match, by the way. There was nothing competing okay, for that time slot. Mm. You know, so basically you can turn on and watch a Grand Prix and it's, you know, it, America should have been watching. Yeah. Are they down in Europe, Manish, figures? I'm sorry? Are the, are the viewing figures in Europe similar? I, 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 I haven't seen, seen it I yet. normally check motorsport broadcasting mm. for that, so I don't know what they are. I mean, I wouldn't be... I wouldn't be surprised, but I think the thing that everybody points at is look at the viewing figures in America. That is a massive economy. If we can get that economy into Formula One, everything is going to be better. And I just, I don't know. I've got a very, very, I don't know if you saw somebody posted on uh, social media, these two women who are obviously not Max Verstappen fans. I don't know if you've seen it. Somebody actually took a shot. So Max lines up on his grid and they're giving him the bird. You know, just literally giving him the both of them. And then, you know, and it's, it's, this isn't three seconds. This is about two minutes of this. And the Red Bull mechanics are being actually very funny and kind of smiling at them. But I mean, I sort of am into Formula One because That's, I wasn't a football fan. I didn't, I'm not sure George Russell, I'm not sure George Russell would thank you for referring to him as two women. But <laughs> I, I, think, I think we, we get your point. Um, uh, Chris Cooper, you're—I can just see you're—you're you're hopping from cheek to cheek, yeah. desperate to uh, contribute your thoughts. I, yeah, I thought we'd adjusted the camera angle so we couldn't see that. But, oh, I want to say, I want to say. But, but, <laughs> <noted>. um, <clears throat> you know how much I love deconflating yes. and unpacking stuff. Yes, that's so, why it says challenge above the door. It's why it says challenge above the door. Oh, those were the days. Um, <clears throat> so, I agree with Manish. I think actually the track. And the race wasn't bad. There was, on Friday and Saturday, they couldn't help themselves from throwing it at the wall. Uh, red cars more than most. And I, and I do, I really, really worry about where Ferrari's at and what's going on in Charles' head because on mm. the Sunday, he clearly looked, and to me, as a driver, um, not in his class, clearly, but, you know, as somebody who's, before Monkey says, chucked it at the scenery on regular intervals. Yes. There comes a point when you do that and you think, i got to stop being an idiot. And immediately after that, you can feel, what am I doing? I'm driving. Well, when I'm are you planning driving. on having that epiphany yourself, Chris? Sorry, just, just to let us know. No, I, you know, there have been moments when I've had that epiphany. <clears throat> and so I, I can sort of, I have a lot of sympathy for him. The track was good. There were, the going down the back straight, it, you could see him thinking, oh, hang on a minute, if I ever take here, I'm going to get done by the guy on that wiggle before and through the start-finish straight. And there's a couple of times when people said, oh, I'm going to hang back. It's just like the racing we've done, Monkey, and Caterham's and stuff like that. That was really good to watch. Um, the fact there wasn't a single yellow flag on mm. Sunday. I mean, it's just amazing. These guys are, these guys are gladiators and the heroes. And that kind of takes me to my first point about the Rasmataz. <clears throat> I actually quite like the Rasmataz. Um, my concern about it was they didn't do it very well. 
And if you're going to do it, and I, it was an interesting juxtaposition with the coronation the previous day. Um, it's often been said that nobody <clears throat> overdoes understatement quite like the British. And the Americans on Sunday kind of underdid overstatement. Did it the wrong way around. They cocked it up. Yeah, that tent that the drivers came Pretty out of. They must have hired that from B&Q, whatever the local version of that was, that morning thinking, oh, shit, we need a tent for them to walk out of. Somebody go and get a gazebo from somewhere. It looked really, really incompetent. And I think, and everyone's seen it, and we were texting about it at the time. To see at the end of the pit straight, as they're all about to come on or coming on, there's a little rope. And one side of the rope, there are celebs, including Roger Federer. And the other side, there's Jackie bloody Stewart, Sir yeah. Jackie Stewart. And... To see Sir Jackie, and when I was talking about my boys last night, thinking who else is left from the 60s has won races, is still around. I think it's Jackie Stewart, Jackie X. Mario's still around, but I don't think he won races in F1 in the 60s, in the 70s. So there's two, there's two of them left from that era, that extraordinary era where most of them died young. He is the legend. He is, to use the overworked phrase, the royalty of our sport. And to see him being manhandled, by, I mean, Martin made a really good joke of it. And I think George tried to come to his rescue as well. And everyone tried to find Roger. But to see Jackie Stewart manhandled, you think, how badly wrong have you got it? So if they did it properly, I'm not offended by the Rasmataz. I think that would work quite well because these guys are heroes. For the I rest of it. I was worried, Chris, that they were going to taser him. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was just horrific. I mean, and I, and I hope that uh, Greg Maffei and Stefano would have looked at that and said, how badly did we get it? It's like seeing stuff on YouTube of police officers doing bad things in the street. It's like, it's, it's, it's that bad. It's that bad. His, his Rolex mate, Fedra, should have helped him out a bit. Yeah, you'd think yeah, there'd yeah. been some Rolex yeah. sort of, you know. Sort of, but the for Rolex guys should have been there. On the race itself and what's going on right now, um, you know, there's a danger we'll have short memories. And we are all optimistic and positive. And I guess I'd say to my colleagues, for the purposes of benefit of listening, that um, in three races, I've got three European races on quite different circuits coming up, three weekends back to back. I'm hugely excited. We're going to have three weekends back to back races, Imola, Monaco, Barcelona, all the way around. They're all different. They'll all be really good. A bit of rain thrown in. Hopefully, we won't worry so much about where Max is at and, and so forth. I do worry about Ferrari. Mm. I probably worry even more about where McLaren's at. Um, uh, Rossi, who's the head of Alpine, made some very, very strident comments about they're not doing a good enough job. He referred to them as amateurish at times, didn't he? Amateurish at times. And if you, many people will have seen. That was about, it was about this podcast rather than the Alpine, wasn't it? Yeah. No, yeah. it wasn't. No, he was very Amateur positive. Most the of the time. Yeah. So, yeah, I think there's, we'll have more to look forward to. And I think, you know, everything tells us that. At the start of new rules, like in 14, the start of the hybrid rules, Mercedes, largely with their engine, suddenly launched ahead. With the ground effect rules, Red Bull have clearly sorted it. As rules mature, everything sort of narrows and tends to the same point. So my hope is it will only get closer because the headroom for Red Bull is lower than everybody else's. This year, maybe not showing it so far. So I remain optimistic. I think if we're going to have the Rasmataz, do it properly and celebrate our heroes because these guys are in heroes. Who's the new bloke at McLaren coming in? Uh, 
Oh, Gilles de Ferret. Gilles, Gilles de Ferret. Gilles yeah. de Ferret. Um, he's a lovely bloke. Brazilian, good friend of Senna's. Yeah, lovely bloke. Um, but he's just a, he's there as a consultant, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's there to suss it out for the Bahrainis to see why it's so yeah. shit, is he? Uh, well, maybe not. I think he's there on behalf of Zach, isn't he, to look at yeah. the, try and create this new structure within the team. I want to say, I want to say thank you to Chris uh, for his uh, wise words there. And also, some very expressive pen work, which was interesting. He, he really was Tony bearing it with the pen, and the beats were hitting nicely. You're a natural percussionist. Now, Edward Lovett, who's sitting in a, a room with a floral decoration somewhere near Epinay, having had a skinful last night. What did you think <laughs> of the Formula One? Formula One, by the way, is racing in cars. Oh, fine. Thank you for reminding me of that. Well, I think Neil made a good point the other day, which was that if Red Bull do go and win the championship, which is obviously going to happen, then are we all going to be tuning in at the end of the season? Uh, now, you Formula One hardcore nutcases will be, but I think Neil and I will probably struggle a little bit more. Uh, and we'll be we'll be holding on to things like pictures of menus with fruit salads for three hundred and fifty dollars and trying to understand why why it all got so out of hand. We we talked last week about Monaco being sort of the, the the spectacle of Formula One. We know the racing there's rubbish, but it sort of has this sort of stigma, uh, no, so this aura around it. And having been to uh, to Monaco, um, not be not paying, but. I just love the fact that the fans can arrive in Monaco early in the morning and find a position up on the bank at, with their probably jambon beurre and, and watch the Grand Prix for nothing as pure fans. And Miami, from what I understand, you know, four seats, $4,000, $350 for a fruit salad. You know, they're, they're doing everything they can to not allow the pure fan to be there. Yes, we can watch on TV, but um, yeah, just it seems like a uh, yeah a, a, a massive a massive change. We we also had, did a podcast twelve months ago, Chris, when we talked about that the, the obvious shift when they did the Miami Grand Prix last year, where Brundle was walking down doing the pit uh, the grid walk, and they all just ignored him. No one wanted any of his time, and and it was sort of almost funny last year and actually just made it feel like this is an American sport now. But, uh, you know, as Manish said, you know, they really built it up this time, but you know, the racing was fine, but it didn't really live up to the razzmatazz of the, of the start. So yeah, they've really, but you know, they're, we're talking about a very smart company here. So I'm sure they're going to find some way of turning it around and learning from their mistakes, but yeah, progress is not in their favor at the moment. I was disappointed, sorry, manager, I was disappointed yeah. in some respect to see on Will I Am's jacket that there was actually seemed to be some free space left on his jacket, even more logos. And maybe that, that was, was that for his nascent car design company? That, I uh, hope so. He's a budding yeah. automotive designer, isn't he? Can you yeah. imagine? I mean, I'm, 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 I'm looking forward to that. You're like a Suzuki X90 that had been shat out by a, <laughs> um, a Jaguar 420G. Right, here we go. Do you know, just, just, I was going to say, just the, on the Will I Am point, it's a tiny point, but there's a sort of metaphor here for having a very small classical band being conducted by Will I Am in a kind of pseudo classical style for drivers that are being brought in by LL Cool J. And if that was an omelette, I'm not sure I'd eat it. 
yeah. that makes sense. There's so much going on here. And, and Edward, I'm again, I'm I'm not sure. I mean, yeah, of course, Liberty, a financially very smart company, a very, very smart media company. You, you know, Greg Maffei is an MBA from Harvard Business School. He was also a Baker Scholar. He was at Dartmouth before that. So, you know, talking about Ivy League, Ivy League, Ivy League. But for me, if you pull too many levers at once, and I'll just tell you this with my, I used to be a bit of a scientist when I was a medical student hat on. The whole point about science is it, it teaches you change one variable, observe what happens, try to work out what's going on, then see if you can replicate it, then change another variable. And a bit like governments that make lots and lots of promises using the word change, you can actually end up by pulling too many levers simultaneously, yeah, exactly. producing pudding that you don't really understand. And, um, you know, there's no doubt Formula One needs to reach a younger audience. We are not it. I've got very finite kind of amount of time left on Earth. But you, you know what I mean? That, well, sorry, but um, the, the point is that, you know, of course, teenagers should be into Formula One. Of course, we've got to find a way. And, you know, history's littered with men in their 50s not understanding their <sighs> boys and girls. I, I get that. And I think it's really important that it does find a way to do it. It just seems to me that this is a kind of regional way to do it. I'm not sure there are so many Dutch kids or Spanish kids or French kids or German kids or English kids who are responding to the stuff outside what the drivers are doing. And I just go back and say it. I think the drivers with much more freedom with social media, with the ability to tell their own stories away from the track, I think in a way that could well have been enough. Right, I've got some stuff written down here, partly in response to what you said and to some thoughts from the race very quickly. I'll, I'll read out my, my top line words I've written down. The Ferrari drivers, Stroll, LL Cool J, driver <laughs> preparation, Jackie Stewart, McLaren, De Vries, and the pit walk. I'll start and I'll explain those. The Ferrari drivers. I'm worried about Ferrari's team. I'm massively worried about the drivers. Uh, Leclerc made a couple of really big errors and clearly lost confidence in the car. So his his incident in qualifying quite clearly meant that he didn't have the confidence in the car. I think there was definitely an issue going on with the tire compound and that new surface. The track was very green. It was rubbering in quickly. I mean, I, we've all, if we've raced when you when you're not quite sure of what's underneath gotcha. you. It's very difficult to explain to people, but you just that you can't commit. And if you only put 99% into a corner rather than 100 and everyone else is putting 100 in, you're bollocks from the start. So yeah. I have sympathy. <laughs> but, but Carlos made a massive mistake in the race coming into the pits. You know, they are judged on tiny decisions they make and it's a high pressure job. But he got a five second penalty for coming in too hot into the pits. And the moment he did that, his head went as well. Yeah, He was fucked. So if I was, if you were team president Ferrari, you'd have to say, we love you. But you're not as good as the other guys at the moment. You know, that's harsh, but they're, they're making more mistakes, I think, than the other drivers on the grid. And I th that has to be addressed. I, like, I think they're both great personalities and real talents, but I, they're, they're making mistakes. LL Cool J, I, I, I echo exactly what uh, Manish and Chris have said. I, I'm a huge fan. You know, every girl of my generation thought he was the sexiest man ever born. He's a great rapper and I... But what, what does he represent? He's not hitting the young generation. He's he's a rapper from the late 80s, early 90s. So the young generation of coming on Drives to Survive probably wouldn't have a fucking clue who he is. It was a really weird decision. You know, get either get someone young in, but he's sort of hybrid, not young. I don't know what he was representing. I'm a huge fan. That I don't need to reiterate the fact that that whole lead-up thing was utterly cringeworthy. And also, for me, it wasn't cringeworthy in the way that you could laugh at it. Martin's grid walk, sadly, is being reduced to the kind of thing where you just go, oh, I can't watch this. 
him hunting about trying to find someone. I love the rib walk. I think it's one of the greatest pieces of sports broadcasting of the last 30 years, but it might have had its day. I think just because he's struggling to get to people. And, it, and then it just, you know, I don't want to see my hero, Martin Brundle, being ignored by Z-listers. It's not a good aesthetic, I don't yeah. think. Um, Jackie Stewart, I mean, mm -hmm. I, if I was going to play devil's advocate, is it possible to make sure that every single one of your security staff at an American sporting event knows who Jackie Stewart is? Uh, I mean, I don't know. I think... I, 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 Isn't there a badge a, problem? There's a straight badge problem. I mean, there, there yeah, is something but, but, they but could he, have done to give you an identifier that gave him all areas. But, but, I, but I, I have to play devil's advocate. You know, the number of times... I, I, I once was late for a studio recording of Top Gear because I went outside for a smoke and a wee and the security guard wouldn't let me back into the studio. And I was there going, I'm a presenter. And he went, pull the other one, mate. It's like, Jeremy bloke, isn't it? I go, no, no, I'm the new brown one that no one watches, but I'm still a presenter. I couldn't get into my own studio. So shit happens, you know, it just happens. Uh, McLaren, I don't, I don't know what what to say. Bless them. I. It looks like there might need to be some some changes there. They, yeah. They're really struggling. And, and it is, isn't it so sad to see, but also what, what we're used to in Formula One, you've got someone like Lando who's just been the, the fresh thing, the new thing that we love for three or four seasons. And now the shoulders are down. Oh, the yeah. is different. It's just, I, I don't, I don't like seeing it, but that's, that's the gladiatorial part of the sport, isn't it? We're voyeuristic. We're watching these people's careers do this. Um, De Vries, uh, oh, bless him. I feel so sorry for him. Yeah. He's clearly a mega talent, but he's, is it worth, if you were playing, if you were coaching, if Neil Clifford was coaching De Vries in the Saturday morning under eights in the football league, he'd probably say, Nick, have 10 minutes on the bench, collect your thoughts and we'll bring you on second half. That's what you'd say, isn't it, Neil? Yes, it would. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, and last but not least, uh, uh, Chris Cooper said the word Imola. And uh, I just want, to, in, in the next three races, Imola is the next race, isn't it? And I yeah. want to just say that I love Imola. Sad things have happened to Imola, but if you've ever driven there, it is a proper race circuit. It's got yeah. everything. It's got, it's got topography. It's got history. It's everything that Miami isn't. And I've got a funny feeling that when we arrive in Imola, we might all just breathe a sigh of relief. I might not care if Max runs off into the distance because we're back at a proper Formula One circuit. Yeah, I've had last year with my son. It's been really brilliant weekend. Totally. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a natural and When you walk on the circuit, which I've done, and you just look up these sheer green slopes and these farmhouses dotted above you, it is just the most beautiful circuit in the world ever. And it, and it, it and kills it's the name. How, there. how that, so language manages, that language managed to be so exotic yeah. in describing such ordinary things. Because if you had, if at Donington you had a corner called Buxton Spring. You just wouldn't like it too much. But Aqua Minerale is just, is gorgeous. You know, I'm not, I'm not having Buxton Spring, thanks, but I'm having... Varianta Alta, Varianta Bassa, Tamburello. Yes, you know, oh. <laughs> so we're, we're back in the land of the living. Now, um, this is a, this is a, we're moving into a personal area here. Some of it, some of us might've been more affected by this than others. <laughs> uh, so I, 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 well, not that I have the, the right to ask people, but I suggested it might be interesting if we discussed the worst depreciation we've ever suffered on a new vehicle. Well, it could be a used vehicle, I suppose, but actually really it should be a new vehicle. Um, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna go over to my friend, Chris Cooper, who for a long time, I think, made some of the most unwise new car buying decisions of anyone I know. Um, so Chris, how bad, did it get? 
Well, I, I, I only make unwise new car buying decisions until very, very recently, as Neil observed. So um, kids, this may be a shock and surprise. We've all grown up in a world where when you bought a car, generally speaking, it went down in value. And in the last few years, post-COVID and supply chain, all those kind of things, some witchcraft and witchery has been going on and you could buy a new car and suddenly when you bought it and it was used and abused, people wanted it more than they did the new car and were prepared to pay more for it. Go figure. So our experiences, and I have to say that this, this does feel like a category that's invented for Neil because he must, simply by sheer dint of numbers, be able to trump all of us. Um, but I think the worst one, you know, uh, we talked about Alpina. I love Alpina. Um, the second one I had is about 10 years ago. It was, there was a B3, E46, no, E92, B3 Touring. That silver gray one I had. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty sure I was very, very pleased when I bought it because it was the only one in the UK. And I felt so pleased with myself. That's about all, a year by later, the way, that's how Alpine is sold. It's always the only one in the UK. Well, I, we, we, did, we did a bit of checking. Go to Goodwood, you I, see the other three. When I sold it, a number of people came to me to say, who you sold it to? Because we're trying to find one and there isn't one. Um, but only when I came to sell it, did you realize if you've got only one of something, it might be to do with the fact nobody else wanted one when they were new. <laughs> and the chance of somebody wanting a slightly abused, <laughs> had done 150 miles an hour, whatever it was, down some auto barn on the way to the Nürburgring, that might not increase its appeal. So um, they were quite reasonably priced notes. I bought it, it had been in the dealership at Nottingham for about nine months in 2009, 2008 into 2009. And the Just give us the numbers, Cooper. Stop the narrative. Give us the numbers. Come on. So I, it probably lost, when I sold it after a year, it had probably lost 55, 60% of its value oh. after a year. We want a cash figure, really. Um, <laughs> Probably lost over 30 grand. And, and to make it worse, when I saw it for sale, and the salesman at Alpina and High Wickham was a lovely chap, and I won't name him, but uh, Mark. Um, <laughs> chap. Um, and when I saw it for sale, so, you know, everyone who sells a car, you always look, I wonder how much they're selling it for. And I think I, I sold it for about 30 grand, and it was on sale for about 40 grand. And I thought, that's just twisting the knife, that is. Did so, you yeah. also have that moment where you thought, 40 grand, that's good value. I might have that. <laughs> no, not, after, not, not having come from where I come with it, no. I would have bought it back. <laughs> well, I've tried a number of times. I've tried because I saw it about a year later for 25 grand, and I thought, no. I have actually bought back a car. I remember that I had an E63 wagon that I sold after two years, and it yeah. went into the Mercedes system, and I had a pang of guilt about it. So I, I found out where it was for sale. A Salisbury dealer had it, and I went down there, and I didn't say who I was. And he went to get the paperwork and you could see him didn't walk across the showroom. As he walked across the showroom, he sort of looked at his paper, looked up at me, looked down, said, I don't understand. <laughs> this used to be your car. I said, yes, it did. But, but I don't, you sold it. Yes. I'd, and I thought there are some, they just don't understand why we do daft things. Um, That's now, my worst depreciation. To, to use Manish's uh, rock concert analogy, um, I, I feel that, that some of us here are just fluffing and we're, we're not the main event. And I'd normally wait till the end for the big band to come on, but I'm going to go second because Neil Clifford is, he's the big band here. He I'm, is yeah, I'm, the, I'm the biggest dickhead on the, on the chat today. <laughs> <clears throat> 
Well, let's I reckon I know to... what yours is, Neil. Yeah, I'm sure you do. <laughs> let's get straight to the numbers. Buying a car for £330,000. Good spec, oh. that. Good spec. <laughs> yeah. And selling it, I think, seven, eight months later for £205,000. To a loss, I think it was about £115,000. <laughs> and I did 2,000 miles in the car. And the calculation, we can all maybe guess what this car is. The calculation was it was, cost me £57 a mile in depreciation. <laughs> and it's probably now worth so 350 grand. Well, no, I don't, so, no, I don't, gonna... I don't think it is, actually. They, they, at the time, and obviously this, this involves our friend Matthew um, at the, the best Ferrari dealership in Europe, uh, Dick Love at Swindon. And he rang me and said, oh, you've got to have this car. I know you, the, the, the joke of it is I'm so stupid. I already owned an FF. So I, all, I already had the best one anyway. But no, there was this new fabulous car that was a GTC4 Lussar. Ah, oh. yes. And the dash is so much better because it's got Apple Play. Which, of course, for £1,000, you can put Apple Play into an FF which I then did and saved myself £114,000. Um, but I, I suppose, as all with, with these things, I was probably after the F12 TDF Cappuccino Spider in manual. That There was only going to make five of them, and Matthew had sort of said, it's quite possible, you know, if, if, you, can, if you can make Ferrari happy back at base. And you know, up, up your, up your. Um, you just need to update your. Take it seriously, database. Yeah. Keep your database up to date. And I ordered it in silver with tan. And my wife, when it arrived, she's like, "We've already got one of those. <laughs> You've got a green one. Why do you yeah. want a silver one?" She's not going to know that Manzoni has fucked up the design and made it uglier than the one I already had. Yeah. But anyway. Yes, I don't think anyone... I would say in your defence, Neil, that that. as someone who did lots of miles in an FF, I never owned a, a Lusso because I couldn't afford to. Uh, I now know why. Um, it, because the rear, rear wheel arch wells produce a lot less noise than a Lusso, so it's a quieter car to sit in the rear of. It's a quieter car, FF. which but in my view is not good. I like yeah. the sound of an FF. I mean, it's probably one of the best-sounding Ferraris, full stop, isn't it? And well, I bought I bought the FF from from Matthew, and actually I've done 30,000 30, miles in an FS. You know, I adore that car. I'll be buried in that car. This was a car I bought before green was cool, before make green great again on Instagram existed. Yeah, it was a car that was owned by a senior diplomat of the Nigerian embassy in London that walked into HRO and, and said can you make me an FF the colour of the Nigerian flag? This is all true. So it's green with tan with yellow calipers. And there was an election in, in uh, Nigeria and his mate lost. So he had to leg it back within 24 hours. I just knew this was coming. He dumped the FF at Dick Lovett and Swindon with four curbed wheels. And I went and bought it. So I, you know, I, I had the cool car anyway. Why well, I bought another one that looked exactly the same but worse, just because <laughs> it had car play. But anyway, 
I think I need to clarify one thing. I remember the depreciation with a thousand pounds a week. Matthew said, if you if you don't move quick, it will be beginning with a one. <laughs> we ought to have Matthew on here one we, week. We, we, just, <laughs> just to explain himself. The problem we is he's quite, he's, he's quite busy delivering prostate examinations to his best clients at the moment. <laughs> Um, yeah. So, but I, I'll clarify one thing there because I, I, you know, yeah, we 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 don't live normal lives necessarily. The five of us, we're very privileged and, and um, we're very lucky, and we're giggling about losing sums of money that yeah, are life changing to many people. But to be clear, you know, we've all made money on cars as well, and I think the reason why we can we can giggle at losing some is that we make some. And if 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 life was just full of losing sums of money like that, a we'd be distraught, b we'd be so skinned we wouldn't be doing this. So I think we have to, you know, it is it is a serious business, but you have to take the rough with the smooth. Um, let's hear some more about the rough, Edward Lovers. Are we ever going to give up on this Alpina B5? For <laughs> <laughs> it was a disgraceful piece of trading. Oh, I actually wrote down here, I'm a car dealer, so, you know, I can't lose money on cars, but I'm not a very good car dealer, if I'm honest with you. And I've lived a couple of times in LA and I've sort of moved my family out there. And one of the things I've done, which is absolutely foolish, but I do it anyway, because I sort of see, see myself as a non-car dealer when I'm going out there and think, right, I need, to, I need to order a car. I need to order a new car. So I'm going to make friends with the local Porsche dealer. You know, they're just as fucking bad there as they are here because, you know, you've got to flirt with them all the time, which I just hate doing with car dealers. Um, we know but, the feeling. Yeah, but... I also, so I, 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 I did order a... Um, did, he just, did he really just say that? What's that? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll add some more context to that later. Um, anyway, I ordered, and the rules in California are kind of weird. And, and for obviously all of you Americans who are listening know this, but in the UK for a brand new car, you have an RRP, a recommended retail price. And throughout most of the world, you have to stick as a dealer to that. In America, they don't give a flying fuck about those rules. So they have a window sticker, which has the spec and all the emissions and the price. And then a handwritten note in the windscreen says market adjusted price. Mm. And they just put whatever fucking number they want on there. And, you know, they order the cars for stock as a dealer, put $150,000 on top of them, and then just hope there's some idiot that walks in and buys them. There's plenty of idiots that are happy to do that. Um, you would never get away with that in the UK. You'd lose your franchise uh, like that. But the other rules in California are kind of weird. So until you've signed the paperwork and driven, even if you've paid the full price for the car, until you've signed the paperwork and driven that car off the lot as a new car, you can get your money back. So it's kind of this song and dance. So once you've paid for it, you still need to go through, you know, they could effectively sell the car to someone else until you signed the paperwork and driven off. So anyway, cut a long story short, I bought a Ford Mustang GT uh, 350R, which, <laughs> which I think they were, Chris, you'll need to remind, I think there was something like $65,000 or something like that. I bought a picture of yours somewhere. Yeah, I bought the first one in LA and I paid $100,000 for it. Um, and all, all the all the cars advertised were like $150,000 or something like that. So I went and picked it up. The dealer was just the nastiest guy in the fucking world, but I really wanted the car. It was jet black, no stripes. 
and and I wanted it. And I was going to Malibu the next day for cars and coffee. Nice. And uh, I went and picked it up. I think most of my teeth fell out driving it from LA to Malibu cars and coffee because it's the the ride on it is absolutely terrible. And on the way back, I decided to just flip up the canyons and do a few few loops. And I've got to say, for a big old beast, that car in the twisties is bloody brilliant. Topanga Canyon. Oh, oh just, uh, just amazing. Anyway, I took the car home. So I must have done 150 miles in total by now. And then we decided we didn't want to live in L.A. anymore. So <laughs> we, we decided to leave. And what I hadn't factored in when I bought it, obviously knowing that the dealer that I bought it off was a total fucking shyster. Um, <laughs> obviously, I paid sales tax. So I paid whatever it is in L.A., 9% sales tax. So you don't get that back. Um, and then you need to leave it on sale or return because you don't want to take a check for it. Uh, so you go and you don't want to give it to the Ford dealer. So you give it to someone you thought was a friend to say, look, do, do us a deal, you know. Five months later, he still has the bloody car. And uh, yeah, I, I took about $76,000 back for it and 150 miles. So I don't, I don't know what the maths are, Neil, but it's probably worse. At Le least you had some smiles per mile in the FF. That's a similar ratio of fuck yeah. up. I think. Yeah, he was be, so, he was, he was so be careful buying a car in California. He was so <laughs> desperate to get rid of it. He kept trying to sell it to me. I did. I did try and sell it to I you. Was I, to myself, I don't even live over there. Yeah, but you go over there a lot. Wouldn't it be good if you had a Mustang GT fifty when you're over there? <laughs> Not really. No, um, Manish, <laughs> because you've been much more sensible than us. I, I suspect and I hope you don't have a horror story. So you might regale us with a third party story. Oh my God, you you read my mind. Um, <laughs> Fifteen years ago, I was walking around the. Um, it was the the motor fair, and it was. I, I can't remember where they have it now. It's in East End, isn't it? And um, we went upstairs. I was with a, a friend who absolutely loves cars. We just spent the whole day together. And um, we went upstairs and they had the, uh, they, they had used cars for sale. And um, we were wandering around and my eye was drawn to this absolutely beautiful, I think it was a late 80s Ferrari 328 in black with black leather it I mean it was just it was so beautiful this thing was just shining and I sort of went up to it and I thought god I wonder how much this car costs and I think can you remember how much they were new I mean it can't have been too much change from sort of 60, been about 38,000 or something yeah like 40 grand 40 40,000 yeah. 40, pounds so I go up to this car and I sort of did a kind of quadruple take 6995 Okay, <laughs> £6,995. We were just walking around trying to find rust or a hole or a wheel missing, or maybe it didn't have seats or a petrol tank. And then, then it just said underneath, only one owner since new. It had something like 30,000 miles on it, Keki Rosberg. <laughs> and if there's someone no. who you do not want a car from okay who's driven it before it's keki roswick you know that thing has been thrashed to within one centimeter of his life and that for me that's rosberg depreciation whatever that is Thirty-two thousand pounds in a decade well done Decky. so uh, so on, on on that theme what's the rolls royce that barry sheen drove around the nurburgring with steve parish worth that's going to be worth 
it's probably negative money, isn't it? If that yeah. must, that must be so fucked. Oh, um, Barry Sheen. I've got some. I mean, I have got some horror stories with appreciation right. from times when I, I really didn't have the money to, to support it. So I, some of it makes me feel guilty, and I can't really. Um, I, I remember buying a new nine nine seven Carrera from the Lovett family, thinking oh, it's a brand first new Porsche. It's going to be great, and I was about a week into it thinking I'm not really sure about this at all it's not as nice as the press car I drove it's got a load more creaks and rattles I suspect they build the press cars a bit better I can't really afford the finance so again I went to chop it in to a bloke called and you won't believe this Matthew Beard <laughs> there the prostate glove and, and um I think I did 2,000 miles and it probably cost me 15, 20,000 pounds. Mm. Uh, and I, I've, I've, I've had loads of those. I, I've never had an, an absolute horror story. Um, but, but the irony is I'm sitting on one at the moment and I don't know how it's going to end. I've got the only Polestar one in the country. <laughs> the 150,000 pound four-cylinder Volvo, which when you say it out loud is one of the silliest things you could ever do. Now, that I, don't is what, I don't know what that car's worth. I love it. It's parked outside and I've no intention of shipping it on just yet. Uh, although I might have to because the old employment status is a bit variable. Um, but I, <laughs> I, I, I'm not sure what that's worth. But I think if I stuck it up on collecting cars, uh, even if Neil Clifford was there with a very, very active bidding finger, it's not worth more than 80 grand, is it? I don't think. I, I, can't, <laughs> believe, I can't believe it's... Is it, oh, worth, is it worth 90,000? I don't know. But no. even if I've got 90,000 for it, that would be... Just sick. never sell it. Then you don't lose any money. Exactly. No, but, yeah. but I don't own it. The bank owns it. So, I've got, I, so I, I, my, my, my answer to this question is, I'm sitting on it at the moment, and it's there lurking like a sort of fucking malignant tumour, and I don't quite know what to do with it. So, so I'm... Um, I, I, the best thing to do is go and drive it and enjoy it, which is what I'm doing. Yeah, the yeah, biggest loss can... you've made, Chris, is the gain you haven't made on a 993 GT2. Oh, oh don't fuck. mention the 993 <laughs> GT2. Well, i tell you what, I, I, I was going to say that your language has been too colourful today because you've definitely, you're nursing an, Epi, an Epinay-style hangover. You're being a bit loose. But I'm going to swear at you and say fuck off because that, that was outrageous. <laughs> I sold that for 100. Don't, don't mention Ed Singer, though. Oh, this was different league, mate. I sold this for 130 grand. It's now worth 1.3 million quid. Oh, that's true <laughs> enough, yeah. I've never had one of those. Right. Um, so we've got through the horror stories. Let's move on to something more positive. And now we're going to sound really old. We're going to sound like a bunch of people that whinge that a rapist introduced Formula One drivers before a race. Um, because we're going, to, we're, going to, we're going to make a passion defence of the use of a key in a car and how important the key is. There you go. Edward's got one there. Um, Manish, do you like car keys or do you prefer a keyless life? Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, 
all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Um, so I have a little teeny anecdote on why I would always prefer a car key. And this has nothing to do with your car being repeatedly ripped off. But um, got a very sweet neighbor and they've got um, a massive uh, Jeep, which is um, keyless. They also have the cutest, um, cutest little labradoodle uh, who's getting on, tiny thing. And um, she, on a very warm day, was kind of rushing around, put her labradoodle in the car, chucked the key onto the driver's seat, shut the door because she thought, oh, I've forgotten something. And the labradoodle smacked the key and locked itself in. So completely locked in, key sitting. And she realized she didn't have the spare key. Her husband did. So she's got a Labradoodle who's stuck in a car on a warm day, whining away. And she really didn't know whether to smash the window or call the police or whatever. Um, fortunately, we have a very nice little dealership where I get my car serviced around the corner. I found a bloke who looked a little bit like Parker from Thunderbirds. And said, this is what this lady has done. He went, and he got something that looked like a blood pressure cuff out and a crowbar. And he came yeah. in, he managed to jimmy it a bit, got the blood pressure cuff in, pumped the thing up, opened it, managed to open it. And I thought, there is an advert now for keyless cars. And it's, yeah. you could fry your dog unless you've got a crowbar of your own. So Bad. Yeah. always Bad. keys, always keys. Um, also, that, just that joy of doing this. Yeah, no, I, I think uh, Neil Clifford, you're someone who sends us videos of trying to coax many of your old crocs into life. And I mm. think that if those videos didn't begin with you showing us the key and putting it into that little uh, ignition barrel, it wouldn't be as romantic. Do you agree? Well, it's our emotional connection to the car, isn't it? It's the it's the thing that connects us to the car. So I adore keys it's about the only thing i don't lose actually i've never don't think i've ever lost a car key there's some sort of thing that keeps me keeps me yeah i just i just store them in lovely places and i adore the bloody things i mean question two things from on my mind what is your favorite key my favorite key has got to be the drilled hold 917 key which you can go and buy those little blanks from the, a Porsche for what, 69 to 74. So you can, uh, I, I have one of those. So you, you've got a lovely little key for your Porsche and it's even been made lightweight by lovely little holes drilled in it. But this keyless thing, I mean, it's a bit like, what's my analogy I was thinking about this morning? It is 5 a.m. in New York. So I'm a bit, I'm a bit, I'm a bit gray. It's like the smart motorway. Who the fuck thought it was a good idea? Yeah. Right? Is someone's designed it that doesn't drive much on motorways or has, has got complete logic only and no fucking common sense, it's going to be okay because no one ever breaks down on a motorway. We just get rid of the, you know, the hard shoulder. Yeah. And it's a bit like the keyless. Now you've got to go on Amazon, if you live in London, and buy those fucking black bags and put your key inside the black bag so the bloke doesn't show up at your doorstep with his laptop and yeah. nick your key through the letterbox 
I mean, what's all that about? If you've got a Range Rover in, in central London, you can almost not insure it. Yeah, just leave it open. Don't bother locking it. Yeah, or, or yeah. I think Mercedes and BMW is bad because you just you can walk around with this piece of software on your laptop and you don't have to nick the keys through with the coat hanger through the letterbox like in the olden days. At least you had to have some level of sort of, in, you know, brains to nick a car. You just walk up to the front door and switch your laptop on. So whoever invented the, the keyless car basically needs to be um, dismissed from their job. Yeah. Gone. Is this like a smart is, it is that how they work? Do they work on uh, Bluetooth? It's a, it's a scanner. They scan it's the a radio scanner. signal. Frequency code, yeah. 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 I, I think it's terrible. The, the analogy with smart motorways is, I think, is a really good one because at the heart of, and we all now right, know. You, all right, you two get a room. Come on. No, it's a good I've one. I've got a spare room here, actually. I'm, I'm oh, on thanks. I'll be there. Okay. Yeah. Don't, yeah. Don't, don't leave the door open. Um, <laughs> smart motorway was basically... Thanks. Pop it. Smart motorways. So oh. the idea was somebody looked at the data, and this is where, and I know this is, you know, you probably mostly worked out, and I run a management consulting business. That's kind of what my professional life has been. So I know how badly wrong management consultants get this shit. So somebody looked at the data, and they looked at the data on smart motorways and said, number of car journeys, number of miles, number of breakdowns, it's obvious. We just need to provide spaces for number of breakdowns. What nobody did was to say, how does somebody behave when they need to stop? And the problem is, when you need to stop, you need to stop. Nobody looks at the signs or can remember the last sign to say, when was the last refuge? Did anyone remember the last sign we've just passed that said, is it half a mile, is it a mile? I haven't got a clue. I've got an emergency. I'm going to stop right here. So these dreadful, and it's awful and tragic, I'm so glad mm. that the authorities are now reacted. They've all happened because people have not known, because it's not how people behave. And they've just, not got to one, one, one further question. What's that got to do with the car keys? Because it's the same problem. Someone's invented something that no one fucking needed. That's what yeah, it is. Yeah, because they, they looked at the data. Let me take the piss out of him. He's making good, valid points, and he's in a flow, and it's my job to fucking interrupt it. Now, Gary, yeah, I've spent 20 <laughs> years. I've spent 20 years with you usually in the back seat. Droning. Is that a droning noise? <laughs> Look, it was always funny. It was funnier a whining noise? It was funnier in the back. You know that. Now, Never. I want to hear your passion defence of... Well, when I first saw okay, when I first saw this question, I thought, oh my god, it's that funny crowd down in Bristol that have that big bowl on the sitting room table. Oh, right. we'll put the keys into that. Is that is that where we're going? Thankfully, it turns out it's not. So that's, I, I'm, I'm going to everybody. That's my else. other podcast. Okay. All right. Is that on collecting the dark keys? Yeah, collect, on? Collecting keys. <laughs> collecting. Sponsored by Finders Fish Fingers. Right. Collecting <laughs> so. <coughs> when you turn a key you know how long do i have to turn it for is it starting is it is it catching do i or no it hasn't i've got to turn it off quickly pump the throttle jiggle with a choke a bit do something else and it's that physical weighty connection it's the thing you do the button press it just um, no it doesn't do it so i think i'm not a luddite but i do think there is something about and there's things i don't like about keys which is sometimes they're in a position on the car where Neil and I are quite tall. So where the key barrel goes in on the dash, monkey, you just talk amongst yourself for a moment. You won't know what this is like. You put the key in and your knee hits the key. 
And I've been in the car where it's almost broken the bloody thing out because my knee's too... Manish, don't nod. You're about the same height as me. Your knee's been nowhere. No, Manish, you're with us. When I first saw this, and actually, you've you've kind of... I've kind of had a bit of a reversal. When I first saw the question, apart from the, is it the, you know, dark internet question, uh, I thought, could I be passionate about it? And now I've listened to this debate and thought about it. I can actually be passionate about it because it's that whole thing about... You look at those 993 Porsche kids. My very first... You know, huge privilege and and good fortune to be able to twenty or twenty five years ago I had a nine nine three. You had that key in your hand, thinking that's a Porsche key, and now you see a Porsche key, and it just looks like anything else. So no, I think um, there's a place for them, and we'll cherish them and protect them. Would love it. That's my favourite key there. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. you know what? When it's like- dark, when it's dark, and you're trying to get in it. Got yeah, the little this this is very important because yeah. you don't know where to put the bloody thing. Yeah, you scratch stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's a good key that. Yeah, uh, the- two two things. Number one, you mentioned about Range Rovers, Neil, and I was told last week that uh, someone I know has just bought a new Range Rover. Uh, he lives outside of London, has an apartment in London, comes in once a week, and he has taken the insurance because he's now bought the car. What do you think the excess is if the car gets stolen in London? Is the value of the car? Oh, it's actually not. Well, thank, thanks for that. You could have at least said two grand or something yeah. like that. But <laughs> it, it's it's fifty fifty thousand quid if the car. Fifty thousand quid because yeah. the, the, in it, he's going to street park it in you Kensington it, or somewhere really. like that. The car's fucking gone. You know how is it in a world where they're delivering these hundred and fifty to two hundred thousand pound Range Rovers that they can't focus on some form of technology they have ownership over that you can't get a fucking laptop out it's it's ridiculous and chris you've it obviously really helps with their sales edward <laughs> I, I i if if that if that's their strategy then you know yeah. well, I, th- I think it's actually i mean a manager makes a point but i think it's the other, the, the other way around they're beginning to see a problem because the word's getting round. you know even if you're not oh. into cars you go to the you know you go to your kids fancy school and someone else goes i wouldn't get one of these because they get yes, that's, that's, that's right. yeah. it's, it's definitely doing the rounds yeah yeah, my mate's had three Range Rover Sports nicked off his drive in Wandsworth. Yeah, I mean, I... Um, if any of you have got, uh, any of our listeners uh, want to go on and, and film themselves starting their car, um, stick it onto your Instagram and tag uh, at Collecting Cars. That's a really we'll, good idea. We'll, we'll, really share, good idea. we'll share our best ones across the social media. <laughs> yeah. But that, that, that one of the strangest things I've ever heard, because there's something deeply Freudian about plunging a key <laughs> to the barrel. Um, That's the uh, bowl again. I think I know, but but I but I I wrote this because I'm I, I'm with you. I'm with Neil and Chris on this analogy with the smart motorway. It, the the keyless situation does kind of solve a problem that no one's ever really really wanted to ask a question about I don't I've not really I've never thought to myself this key thing doesn't work because it's always been functional and it's operated for me and I the, the problem with the keyless technology as I see it apart from another part of the vehicle becoming de-emotional um is is that I if it doesn't work every time it pisses you off. So if you're, the, and it's always the law of Murphy means the one time you want keyless to work is when you, it's raining, you've got bags full of shopping or what have you, and you go to pull the door and the fucking thing doesn't open. Then you think, I've got to get the key out and flip it. At which point I'm thinking, what well, this doesn't, the one time I needed this to work, it doesn't work. And I've only got one vehicle that I know every time I touch the door handle open, and it's an 08 plate Land Cruiser. All the new stuff I've got 
there, it occasionally doesn't work. And if it doesn't work once, it might as well not work at all. And I think the yeah, key also, where, where I will defend the keyless revolution is that I think the key has for a long time been neglected by car makers. It was something that could have been used as a point of theater gratification so much more. You think back to Ferraris of the 2000s. They, they, they revolutionized what they were doing. They made fantastic cars. They made them out of aluminium. They used to give you this shit red key. It was terrible, blob of plastic. Yeah. Wasn't too much to ask. They might give you a lovely piece of aluminium or they might have, you know, they might have just done something special with it. It was, it was just so ordinary, I thought. And no but car maker was really doing anything with car keys. But you pull That's that true. thread and then yeah. one step later, you're with the good doctor and the emotional control unit. Yeah, that didn't go well. <laughs> and if we talk about Freudian, plunging that bad boy into the dashboard with, and you had to use both fingers, that, yeah. was, that wasn't a good look for anyone that was watching you start <laughs> to Martin. But I, I, do, I do love car keys. And I think if I, in my head, and we all do this now and again, when I'm running my imaginary car company lying in the bath and the spell <laughs> of the car, what I call it, I know that I'd really go to town on the car key. And I'd want the car key to be, I wouldn't want to sell the, owner of fucking watch with 14 you know stupid movements in it that you couldn't tell the time i'd want to present them with a box and inside i want there to be a, a thing of absolute beauty that they would just cherish and it would be a, it would be a piece of jewelry in its own right that's what i'd love to do pagani that was the, the best thing about the r32 gtr was the titanium key that fucking titanium key was the actually i didn't like the rest of the car but i almost <laughs> kept the key that's lovely, that key. I know they're like two million pounds, those cars now, aren't they? They are. But, and obviously you're wrong about the car, but the, but the key was magnificent. The key, lovely. That titanium key, yeah. Right. Um, this was one proposed by Chris Cooper, uh, who is um, rather good at this stuff. He said, what's your favourite motoring quotation? And I thought to myself, that's quite a good one. Let's do that. I, and I, and I, I hasten to say, uh, in honour of my, my English teachers from school, you're not say quote, it has to be quotation because quote is late lazy so what is your favorite motoring quotation edward lovett and, and let to be clear it can't be you talking you've got to quote someone more famous than you win on sunday sell on monday <laughs> what else would it be <laughs> yeah okay who's that chapman I know Ford. I think Ford used Ford, it as a marketing Ford. campaign in the yeah. 60s and 70s. Yeah, that's true, uh, yeah. Manish, what's yours going to be? Um, I'm going to, I've got a few here, I'm afraid. But, <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> there are two Jean-Marie Balestre that I love. Obviously from Senna, the best decision is my decision. It's <laughs> a great quote. There's another one though. he says when um, he's being interviewed about uh, becoming head of the FIA and he says, I have nothing against the English except that they burnt Joan of Arc, which I just think is a great. That is brilliant. I like that. <laughs> um, Senna, oh. who says um, F1 is politics and it's money. And when you're young, you have to go through this on being screwed at Monaco in 84. And he works out at the end of his life, actually, you go through this all your life if you're going to be an F1. Um, a Bernie Eccleston quote, which I love, every time he talked about what could happen or what he had to do and whatever argument there was, he says, he always ends it with, and that's exactly what happened. <laughs> Just I like that. Sort of, don't ask me. Yeah. <laughs> that's not remotely <laughs> sister. 
Not at all. But my, absolutely, there's a slight tangent. But in the film, The Italian Job, when um, Charlie Croker and Camp Freddy have got to get Professor Peach, Benny Hill, they've got to go and go, so they go and see his sister and uh, played by Irene Handel. And it is literally the greatest scene, I think, in the entire film, very underrated. So both of them have got cats on their laps. And she's talking about Professor, but oh, we did do that. Oh yeah, oh, we did do that. Yeah. And then there's a non sequitur line, which is just a comic genius, which has never been matched. Cat, Camp Freddy starts stroking the cat on its back and its tail comes up. And I'm sure this was improvised. She turns like, oh, you don't want to do that, dear. Give them ideas. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. I love that. Right, so Chris, what are your seven quotations? Okay, so I have I have to say, well, first of all, this was um, um, Cameron, my son's Cameron, suggesting it. I came out a load of theater, so I thought this was a good one. And I have Monkey always says, for God's sake, don't read the comments on YouTube, whatever. So of course, all of us read all of the comments. And somebody did say, why does Chris Cooper come up with seven suggestions in one? I'm terribly sorry. I'm going to come up with you this time. <laughs> so I really liked talking about smart motorways and the car keys. Um, Henry Ford, when he said, if I'd asked my customers what, I, what they wanted, they'd have said a faster horse. There's yeah, a whole discussion good. in there about actually the leadership needed from the car industry to get stuff right. We'll come back to that another time. So actually, so Cameron's suggestions, his own question were, and they are from the land of horsepower and the big engine. Harold Shelby, too much power is just enough. There is never enough horsepower, just not enough traction. And But his favourite and mine <laughs> was Mark Donoghue, uh, who he would know because he used to drive that 91730, the most powerful racing car ever ever run on a circuit. Horsepower. And he said, Mark Donoghue said, if you can leave two black stripes from the edge of, exit of one corner to the braking zone of the next, you have enough horsepower. <laughs> That's my favorite. So well done, yeah. Cam. Yeah, okay. Um, well, we're going to go to Edward Lovett. No, I've done mine. Oh, you've done yours. Sorry. Uh, Neil Clifford. Do you want another one? I didn't oh, give no, you seven. I, I, I thought it was one each, but it's obviously no, seven. I've got no, more. No, no. <laughs> we, actually, we've escaped with you, Lovett. So we've done all right. Go on, Neil Clifford. Okay, I've got one from the King of Italy. We don't sell cars, we sell dreams. Yeah. We are Italy's national team. There are many great soccer teams in this country. But there is only one Ferrari. Yeah. I think that was in the 1950s. That was the first mic drop recorded, isn't it? That was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I've um, I, I've gone for a bit of a cliche. I'm really surprised. It's one of those moments where I thought that one of you guys would say what I was about to say, and I was dreading the fact that I'd have. To I was paranoid about that. Another too. one. So mine is. Um, I love the Ferry Porsche one. Um, which is the last car built on earth will surely be a sports car. Yeah. yeah. So it's a, a lovely, a lovely summary of, of how I think we all feel about motor vehicles. And yeah. I, the other one is, is not actually a quotation. It's the title of a book that I didn't think the, the author of which I didn't think would get mentioned here, but Chris Cooper has just mentioned it. I still think the greatest sporting biography of them all, not just motorsport biography, but greatest sporting biography all, is, is Mark Donahue's book. And it's simply titled, the unfair advantage. Yeah. I think no phrase better describes motorsport to me than the phrase, the unfair advantage. Because that when you see, when you watch Manish's wonderful uh, programme, Lucky, and you see these young figures, the, the Frank Williamses, the Bernie Ecclestons, they are scurrying around trying to locate the unfair advantage. Yeah, it's brilliant. 
Um, yeah. Right. Uh, I think what uh, we, we, we've we've done quite a bit there, guys. I'm just going to I want to just mention before uh, we do our Muzak choices um, that uh, if you go online onto the site, we don't often do this, but I'm pushing you towards collecting cars because we've got a collection of fast forwards on there. I, I've driven and done a little video uh, and they really were gorgeous. And they reminded me that ca car collections don't need to be exotica. They don't need to be expensive and Italian and low slung. You can sometimes end up in a shed that's pure Essex and find yourself loving them. So go and have a look at that video and go and bid on a Fiesta 1.3 gear because you might be surprised oh. at how much money they're worth. Oh, Is it Mark 1? It's a Mark 1, yeah. Oh, yeah. I love that shape. Pretty car. And, and, and also there's a, there's, a, there's a brochure in there. There's the monthly Ford brochures for about four oh. years. I mean, the money, they, the expense, every single option price for every single model was listed every month. I used to read all of that. I know. Yeah. Every month, go and get from the local Ford dealer. God, how you can, you can, and it's so logical, so well. Yeah, written. I know, I know. You can basically go down and say, right, how much were headrests on a one point three Fiesta? And it will go twenty four pounds and twenty seven pence. There, done. Passenger wing mirror. Yeah. So uh, that was. I don't mm. often do a sales pitch, but there's my sales pitch for this week. And they'll be going live um, as of uh, this Friday, the twelfth, and ending on the twenty first. Buy yourself some Essex. Uh, you music. can easily get your two-car garage with that. Oh, yeah. sugar, the two-car garage. There you go. Yeah. There's a link. Well, you've got the you thinking, are you? The two-car garage. Let me read this out. Here we go. Using my telephone here. I apologise. Oh, we're on the piss now. Here we go. It's 1995, and you have somehow had your lucky numbers roll in. The winnings aren't life-altering, but you now have £100,000 to buy a new sports car for yourself and an estate car family wheels for your better half, uh, which you were still allowed to say in 1995. The only spanner in the works is that you've always told anyone who would listen that you could never own a 911, which makes this a whole lot more difficult, I think. Um, let's start with Edward. I was only allowed one quotation. Love it. <laughs> John's another one. <laughs> um, so I've ordered a 355 GTB manual. How much was that? £87,000. Um, and I did write this down last night. I wanted it in blue Le Mans with the Coyo seats and racing yeah. seats. But I think as a lottery purchase, yeah. it's probably your first Ferrari. And your first Ferrari's got to be Rosso Corsa. Yeah. So I, I'm going to change it to red because that's more suitable. And and then I was going to come up with some silly... I, I've been trying to find what was the fastest growing business stock in 1995 that my newly acquired financial advisor got me to invest in once the lottery payout so I could inflate my budget and buy an Audi RS2. But then I reread the quote this morning and you put for the better half. So it wasn't really a car for me to drive. So some sort of affordable BMW estate car with my remaining £12,000, I'm guessing. Mm -hmm. Am I allowed to go second only because I never of course thought... course you can. I never thought that um, Edward and I would derive from the same basic fetal cell. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just look what... How is that actually possible? Last week, <laughs> it's the same Roly as me. Okay, I think should we just do a Rorschach test or something just to see if we uh, yeah literally put of down a Ferrari F three five five, which I converted from the dollars to the pounds at that time, and actually came to seventy four. 
So I don't okay. know. Okay, cheaper. It's about, yeah. And um, the BMW 3 Series Touring E36, which you could just no. pick up for £26,000. Oh, a three to a three to eight. Uh, BMW no, not the three to eight. No, no, no. Could no, no. you not afford better. that? No, no, that was oh. too expensive. No, good engine that. Good Lovely engine. engine. No, it was a three two zero actually. The, you could yeah. get that for twenty six thousand, pretty well. Black with saffron. <laughs> there we I can't go. We picked the same yeah. okay. okay, can I go next? Um, no, I want Neil Clifford to go next in the hope that he might steal the car that you were about to say. <laughs> no, no, my, mine's going to be much better. Right, so I'm, I'm, I'm not allowed a 911, but of course, I'm still allowed a Porsche. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> so I got to Dick Lovett, 928 GTS manual, the last of the 928. Of course, yeah. the 911 replacement was the strategy. It's the same bloke who did the bloody smart motorways. So um, oak green metallic, tan leather, fantastic thing and then i'm like oh i've got a bit of money left here and i didn't i didn't really look at the price of what they probably like 60 odd grand or something nine to eight and i won over a million quid so i actually bought a house in sicily as well so i go over to the palermo bmw dealership because they're only available in left hand drive i bought an e34 m5 touring And they're cheaper over there. Sneaky, you can... sneaky little bespectacled bastard. <laughs> Double sunroof in Calypso red, debadged cloth, air conditioned cloth. Wait, M- yeah. I, I'm M- about to have a moment here, boys. <laughs> M cloth, debadged, that dark Calypso red, twin sunroof air conditioning out of the Palermo BMW dealership. My wife won't want to drive it because it's left-hand drive and super scary, but you don't give a fuck anyway. You buy that Fiesta on collecting cars. (laughs) And um, the the, the amazing thing about those two cars, you keep them 30 years and you've lost nothing. There's no depreciation. You're going to get your money back. I I think Chris Cooper, I I, I feel sorry for you now, Chris. That's quite some pairing to follow so the reason why i said i'll go next is because my list was a ferrari 355 gtb and a bmw 320i touring (laughs) i knew it last night i thought how can we not all have these (laughs) because i'll tell you why i'll tell you why because in 1995 i distinctly remember when i remember chris evans being interviewed sorry monkey that'll trigger you yeah Uh, remember chris evans being interviewed by or speaking to somebody on the radio about what's the best car in 1995. And whoever's talking to you said, well, it's obvious. And it was any, what anyone ever talked about in 95 was, it's a Ferrari 355, because it was so much better than the 348 and 328 and everything went before. It just completely changed. Luca's first Berlinetta, probably. Um, so if you were 1995, you just won a little bit on the lottery, and you asked anybody what to buy, they'd all say buy a 355. And that was about 80. I mean, the 100,000 only works if you put no options on it, which even in 95, I suspect nobody did. And trying to find price lists for stuff in 1995 is surprisingly difficult. Quite a few people on eBay had 1995 BMW price lists, but I was tempted to phone them up to say, could you fax it for me? I'll still give you the money. But (laughs) Um, So I reckon through a process of extrapolation from various 
markets in Europe and the US and a bit of Bank of England inflation calculator, you could just get a 320i in cloth standard alloys and the 355, no extras for 100 grand in 95. Yeah. What color so, was yours? What color would yours have been? I think if you were if you won the lottery in '95, you'd have to go for red. Uh, red I would go red over black. You just if you're going to have the first red car, has got to be a red car. Yeah. Um, I realised that by taking the 911 off the table, I've made this a lot more difficult than it needs to be, and it just reminds us how much we love 911s because I've just written down. You could have bought a 993 GT2 within your budget. <laughs> um, uh, anyway, so I've, I've gone a bit, I've gone Italian, but there was a car that, and I've just squeaked in here, that was launched in the, I think, December of that year, uh, was the Maserati Ghibli Cup. And I just, I, they really captured my imagination. You know, I remember Harry had one in the mm. Performance Car Magazine. And you could also get that crazy Italian one that had the two litre absolute. Oh, the tax break one, yeah. Yeah, so I think one of those in that very, they did a very dark metallic blue, almost with a hint of purple in it. I love that. The family car is interesting because I, I, the fast estate wasn't, it wasn't that common a thing then. You know, there were quite quick estates. The M5 was the only really fast estate. You could go to AMG and they'd, they'd hot you up and do you an AMG, what they called a 36 then, which, which, 3.6 yeah. to inline six, but it, it was a heavy thing. It wasn't that quick. And actually, my my family had a car then that was a, the most practical car I've ever ever used. And it was really, really fast. It was a Renault Espace V6. And that's what I'd have. I, I loved that Espace because you could take mm. the seats out, take all five seats out, and really, you had a piece of plastic yep. that had 160 horsepower, and it would do 140 miles an hour. Uh, and with the rest of the money, I just I just stock up on an exceptional seller. I think I have lots of money left over, so it'd be for me Renault Spass, Maserati Ghibli Cup. I mean, if you wrote those on paper, how many breakdowns would you suffer in the first year? <laughs> it would just be tragic, wouldn't it? Um, uh, and I realised that I shouldn't I shouldn't pose these two car challenges anymore because I've I've left three of our panel here. Being, being forced to choose the same cars, which means I've been I've not done a good job there. I do apologise. Well, I uh, think you'd end up with the three five five if you were a lottery winner in ninety five. Lottery started in ninety four. Yeah. Um, if you were fortunate enough to win the lottery in ninety five, and you thought I was going to buy a dream car, I think you'd end up with a three five five. But that was it's you know we're old enough to remember how exotic and exciting and unbelievable it seemed. Uh, I don't think you uh, only very very Odd people like us potentially would have thought a 993 GT2. When did but GoldenEye come out? 95. Well, Is with that... the spider. No, that was a spider, wasn't it? Driving GTS. down the hill. The GTS. Was it uh, GTS, was it? But where, yeah. where it was having an honest dice with a DB5, which yeah, right. license in there. But what was I her think... name? It was something like Xenia on the top. On the top. Yeah. She used to have she used to have orgasms as she strangled people with her thighs. Yes. She had a small crisis, I think, is what we're trying to say, Chris. <laughs> Sorry, I do apologise. Yeah, I thought she was having the big O. Right, uh, <laughs> let's let's move let's let's move on to some music. Uh, and before we do that, I want to say thank you to Neil Clipper for being here at five a.m. New York time. To Edward Lovett for being here at uh, twelve nineteen Epine time, uh, and the other three of us being in the UK. Um, I'm going to go first this week. Um, I was. Going to, I've just changed my mind at the last minute. I was listening to Appetite to Destruction this week, and I still maintain it's one of the best rock albums ever written. I absolutely love it. Guns N' Roses, Mr. Brownstone, it always gets me going. But mm. I've just 
got this sense. I'm going to go drive up to Cheltenham and see my kids later on, and I want a happy song. Sometimes I like to get in a car and just be made happy. And for me, the Buggles video killed the radio. Oh, oh, what a song! It's just uh, it just makes Trevor me Horn. So there you go. For me, it's yeah. the Buggles this week. It makes me <laughs> quiver with that's a brilliant song. That uh no, on mtv neil if i don't sing in cars i like to drum which of At course is slightly more, it's slightly more dangerous than singing but nevertheless I think we don't... Are, you, are you two are you two index fingers or are you more no, no i'm holding the sticks okay okay um Good luck everyone clearly not the, i wonder why i'm such a bad driver maybe it's because i'm drumming <laughs> and, and because I'm in America, I had to think about what is a great American song to drum, and it's Red Hot Chili Peppers, Californication. Oh, it's a great, great song. Great song. Super good great drumming song. song. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Edward Lovett. Um, I'm not sure. I thought I'd listed this one, but I looked in the playlist and we haven't put it. But um, Type 7 did a video uh, with. Philip Cadori's 911 rally car, which Richard Tuttle was driving. Go onto YouTube, uh, Google Type 7 Safari 911. And I, I think um I think it's called Shakedown. It is called it's called the Shakedown. Yeah, it's bloody brilliant. And it just makes you want a Safari car in a field right this yeah. moment. Um anyway, the song in that is Velvet Sky of Dreams. Um, very good, but great video. Go watch it. Mm. Manish, are we going classical or are we going modern? Oh, we're going somewhere in between. Um, we are off to Italy next week. One of my favourite films that touches everything is the talented Mr Ripley. And uh, I don't know how you cannot love that film. And um, there's a piece of music that wasn't in the film, but which I always imagine is in the film. And it's when uh, <laughs> they go to their jazz bars and when they really genuinely get lost in Italy. And I think that's when Ripley really falls in love with... Uh, What's his name? The uh, Jude Law character, the bad, the, the baddie, goody baddie. And um, I always imagine that to Nina Simone's I Put a Spell on You, which Ooh. I think is the sexiest, loveliest, yeah. most beautiful piece of music. I could just imagine driving, driving in Rome or in Bologna or something like that in a Ferrari listening to that. Chris Cooper, follow that. So under the heading of what makes you happy and feel good? And I just happened to randomly trip across it last night. The Doobie Brothers, What a Fool Believes. It's just got that wonderfully uplifting opening piano. And it's just that 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 voice, those voices they had. So Doobie Brothers, What a Fool Believes. Such a nice summary, feel good. Just get outside and drive. Um, Edward Lovett, where's this playlist? Where does it exist? Uh, collecting Addicts on Spotify. There you go. Uh, thank you very much to Neil Clifford, Edward Lovett, Manish Pandey, Chris Cooper uh, for putting up with me again this week. We'll be back again, hopefully next week, uh, hopefully in the UK, all of us. Actually, no, we won't, will we? Manish and I will be in Italy. So we'll, we'll have to find a way of dialing in. We haven't thought about that. Um, enjoy your driving, stay safe, and we'll see you next week. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 